Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. We missed last week, and so it's we we have a lot to talk about just because it's two weeks, but also a lot happened. There was even some disappointment. We didn't have an emergency podcast after the excitement at, in Fargo earlier this week. Uh, but my name is Todd Buckingham. I can be found on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod. Joined today by Zach Dosh. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. And guys, I mean, we're lovers, not fighters, right? I mean, that's why we took time to honor Valentine's Day and you know, it took a little time to cool off from the attack at the shack, and now, now that the dust settled, here we are. And I'm Greg Steeman. You can uh, reach me on Greg uh, on Twitter at Greg Steeman. <laughs> well, so Zach, you brought it up, the attack at the shack, as it's now being warmly phrased. I think that's the best way to start. It's probably the biggest news item, probably unfortunately biggest news item. Uh, the good news for us is we had somebody that was sitting about as close as you can sit. Uh, to the excitement. Uh, so, Greg, why don't you just kind of start out? You were there, got to see kind of firsthand. Yeah, I was there. I mean, it, it was uh, it was unfortunate, and it was uh, it 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 got really close to being really bad, put it that way. Yeah. And I'm glad it stopped when it did. And and uh, Deshang Weaver may be the unsung hero in all this. At six eight two hundred, he looked like a, a small defensive back trying to attack or trying to tackle Elijah Ufile. And but you go back, I, I think it started towards the end when uh, when both teams, for the most part, um, pulled everybody off the floor and, and put their uh, their backups in. And uh, and uh, but but interestingly enough, I, you know, Paul Mills decided to leave Max Aismas on the floor and, and Max had struggled and, and in large part due to, I think, the defensive effort that NDSU had put on him. So he was out there with a group of backups. And for the most part, you had. Uh, uh, backups out there from North Dakota State, and uh, and it was interesting because it seemed as though uh, things had done. Both teams had said, "All right, we're done, we're over." Um, and then uh, NDSU as a player go down uh, with, with a little bit of an injury, and so on the ensuing possession when NDSU inbounds the ball, Earl Roberts is full court pressing, and then they're back up and they're fouling again, trying to get additional possessions when it seemed as though prior to that, that NDSU player going down, they had called off the dog. So right. all of a sudden they're back in, we're going to play this thing out till the end. And uh, so then what happens is uh, the next time down the floor, NDSU is able to, um, you know, see over the top of, of ORU's full court press. They avoid the foul situation. They throw it to a kid who's probably played, I don't know, four minutes all season, and he goes in for an uncontested layup. And I believe I said on the air at time, I said, at the time, I said, that's okay. Because if the other team is going to continue to press and try to foul, there's nothing wrong with continue for the other team to continue to be aggressive on the other end. And then, uh, then the ball comes in, and I think there's a little bit of a, you know, the ball gets knocked away. The buzzer goes off, and about a second after that, Harden Hayes finishes with a dunk. And I just I don't think Paul Mills is overly appreciative of it. So then the handshake line goes on, and I'll get back to the handshake line in a little bit. My my thoughts on the handshake line. Um, you know, Dave Richmond and 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 Paul Mills already walked by each other and shook hands the first time. But right. as as many of you know, then what happens in in the North Dakota State's arena? is after they go through the handshake line, they then have to cross each other again around midcourt to go to their locker rooms. And that's when Paul Mills decided to go back to Dave Richmond and express his displeasure, I, I'm assuming, with the late layup and then the, the dunk that was after the after the, the final buzzer. So, but, and then when those two exchanged words, that's when the players started getting involved. And you end up with a lot of pushing and shoving. And, and Zach, I know your thoughts on on, on these uh, altercations, if, if one wants to call them that. Um, it just it, it, it evolved into something it never should have. And, and there were some younger players from, from both teams that decided to um, maybe exchange words and things like that. And so it, it just developed into something that, I'm glad it stopped when it did, because as I mentioned earlier, it could have gotten really ugly in a bad way. And, and I, I look at a bigger picture on many of these, uh, you know, 
Summit League arenas, you have some on-floor seating with families, with small children. And I don't know if you guys have seen that, um, you know, our, uh, the teams in the Summit League have some pretty big, strong kids on them. And, and if all of a sudden things get out of control, who knows what can happen? Right. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic with this. Um, it just was a bad look for the league. And it was a bad look for um, uh, a game in which NDSU's performance was overshadowed by what happened after the clock hit zeros. Because NDSU had played probably their most complete game of the season against an extremely talented, good ORU team. So uh, it's unfortunate. And, and then to top it all off, you know, prior to us going on the podcast today, we see something eerily similar at the end of the Michigan-Wisconsin game. So yeah. I... I've, I've put my diatribes on Twitter, and, and, and I'm not trying to be judgmental because nobody's made more stupid, dumb decisions in their life than I have. But it's a bad look for the college game. It really is. And I think somebody has to get it under control. And the last point I'll make is going back to the handshake line. If people, you know, it, it's always the exception that that overrides the rule. It's always the exception that brings about the need for change in a game because 98, 99% of the people can handle themselves, can handle themselves with dignity after a loss. It's the 1% or 2% that can't that lead to changes that you wonder why they have to be made. And part of me goes, maybe you got to get rid of the post-game handshake line and just go back to the, the, the pandemic handshake line of waving at each other afterwards and go to your locker room because it's unfortunate. I, I hope it's not a trend. It just happens. It, it, it seemed to occur in, in two games and in the last four days. And we just can't have it. It's unacceptable. And and I just think that that's my opinion. So I'll, I, I went kind of from describing uh, what happened to um, editorializing. I, I apologize about that, guys. But uh, that was my take on what happened in front of us. It's unfortunate. And um, should these two teams meet up again in the in the Summit League, my broadcast partner, Don Mizzle, brought it up. You know, I'm guessing the officials are going to go to both teams and say, listen, I'll tell you what, if there is one iota or one little bit of anything that, that, that presents itself during that game, you're going to get slapped with a T. You're going to, you know, we will not tolerate any of it. And it's too bad that you have to put the, the officials in that position because of, I think, what was maybe some poor decision making. And I'm not going to point too many fingers here. Uh, but it didn't have to happen, and it happened for one reason, in my opinion, that, that instigated all of it. So that's where I'm at, and I'll let you guys comment on it. Well, I think I'll preface everything I say here with, with that. I honestly don't think this was that bad. It looked probably worse than it actually was. Like you said, Greg, this could have been a thousand times worse. This really could have been bad. But ultimately, I don't think it was was that bad. Um I'll, I'll be honest. I I was really confused with players getting suspended and the coaches not. Um, I, I'm a pretty big, pretty firm believer in these situations. You know, the, the coaches follow, the players follow the cues of their coaches, right? Everybody's calm when the coaches are calm. When the players, when the coaches lose their mind, the players lose their mind, right? Like so that's that's what happened for whatever reason. Like like you guys said, it was it was done, and for whatever reason, it it sure looked like to me. And I, and I could have this wrong. And that's, that's another reason why I don't want to really come to any like strong conclusions about this whole thing is that, um, we don't a hundred percent know what was said it, to me, my perception of it, for whatever reason, Mills decided to, to double back and give Rich a piece of his mind after look, he could have done that right after the game. He could have done that when he was face to face to him, but for whatever reason, they, when he decided to double back and the rest of the team was in the middle of him and Richmond, then he ha you have him yelling at Richmond over the top of everyone else. And that's when everybody else starts to get stirred up. And it looked to me that Richmond was more confused than anything um, as to what the exact issue was. Uh, and then, you know, uh, of course, as this happens, like I said, you know, once the, once the coaches start to lose their minds then the players do, and then, you know, Grant Nelson and Elijah Lafila happen to be right next to each other as everybody's kind of pushing and shoving. And then, you know, I, I, I really don't think it was Grant Nelson throwing. If, if Grant Nelson was throwing a punch, he would have easily been off for a game. 
Um, so <clears throat> whatever that tussle was, a Donnybrook, as as Don would call it, um, it, it it it's disorienting. Like I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation like that. I've been in, you know, re- really kind of one or two on the court like that, and like you know, maybe at a watering hole or two, but um, <laughs> it it's more disorienting than anything. Like 99.9% of that stuff is really nothing. It's just everybody bumping into everybody and everybody misunderstanding what's going on. You know, like I said, like I highly doubt Grant Nelson and Elijah Lafila actually had beef between the two. You know, like I don't think that it just, but when you open up Pandora's box because you start going down that path, anything can happen. And honestly, I, I was more impressed with the leadership on both teams. How about Tyree Edie getting in the middle of that thing and sorting it out? How about Deshane Weaver yep. saving lives and somehow getting Elijah Lufile on the ground? You know, I mean, Sam Griesel, Max Aismas, these are some of the teams that have some of the strongest encore leadership. And so it was really disappointing to see. I, I, I think the coaches, in my opinion, one more than other, kind of let them down. And I don't know what... I don't know what's causing all this. Like we saw like John Howard losing his mind today and taking a swing at somebody like the, I think the underlying thing is uh, those unwritten rules. They are for losers guys. They're for losers, whether it's in basketball or baseball or whatever, those unwritten rules are who cares? Your player goes up and lays it up. You don't like it. Stop them. You know, like, are you more concerned about layup at the, yeah, I mean, are, are you more concerned about a layup at the end of the game, or are you more concerned that your team scored 59 points? You know, like, what are you really mad about? You know, Juwan jo- Howard, are you more concerned about some guy calling a timeout at the end of the game, or are you more concerned about your team's massively underachieving and got blown out of that game? You know what I mean? It's just, it's misdirected anger. It's silliness. It's all garbage, and it's fake tough guy stuff. Like, so, you know, if you have some 18-year-old kid making a mistake, okay, that's fine. We're talking about the adults in the room who are getting paid. And so, like, I don't mean to go on too big of a rant, but it's just, it was, it was really kind of uh, interesting. And, you know, again, there's always more to the story. And I just, I'm very curious to, to know what was exactly said on those conference calls between, you know, Commissioner Fenton and Coach Richmond and Coach Mills the next day, because for whatever reason, they came to the agreement that they did. Um, I thought, you know, suspending the players for a half, uh, an equal number of players, I think that's probably right, but a five thousand dollar fine that's that that doesn't do anything, and don't get me wrong, like I'm not you know suspend them or not, I don't care, but the whole point is coaches should be held to a higher standard in my opinion, and nothing happened that, without them instigating it, and so I just thought the 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 punishment kind of sent the wrong message, but like I said, I don't really know exactly why this decision was maybe there's a different Maybe there's some other outside factors that kind of played into this, but um, you know, I don't know. Those are just kind of some of my initial thoughts. Todd, Todd, what were some of your thoughts? You know, I I agree with most of what you said, Zach. It the coach is not getting suspended at first, and I I still kind of think I'm not sure why Richmond got the same punishment as Mills, but. I think, Greg, it was you that had kind of said, like, you're the coach. It's you're responsible for what happens. And I can that that is an argument I can hear. Um, I think they got the right four players. I, at first, I thought, what did Jamie Bergens do? I didn't even so I had to rewatch it after the suspensions. And he did shove somebody kind of after things were seeming to cool down. So I, I guess the players that they got, it it makes sense, it, whether it was a punch or a shove. Uh, Grant did bloody up Lufile, and clearly when he did that, that set the powder keg off. So, like, I, I, and Bowden, <laughs> Bowden, I, uh, a man after my own heart, I would probably be, have been doing the same thing as you, um, trying to stay out of the physical altercations, but having fun getting them going at the same time. Um, but yeah, he, he was certainly a part of it, and, and, and certainly Elijah Lufile, uh, like you both said, that could have ended horribly had he not gotten tackled. The thing that I will go back to that, Zach, you were talking about, and I'm going to go to the Oral Roberts side of it. We interviewed Coach Mills, and it was absolutely a joy to interview him. And I don't mean, you know, I I hesitate to, to pass judgment on people, but I'll, I'll say it this way. 
what Oral Roberts represents and and the the light that they give to their faith, I find I appreciate that. It, it aligns with my faith, so I I think that's pretty cool. It's just pretty disingenuous when that seems to happen when you're on your Sweet 16 run and you're not able to show the same thing in losses. And and so like that's kind of my challenge to that group. You represent something a little different in my mind. So it's not so bad to to maybe try to 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 show that I guess, and you know I I I I would I would say the one thing that I would do different is if you're gonna hit the coaches they should be suspended too. Um, the fine I think is the max fine they can give per league bylaws, so that's where they came to that amount. Um, and then even the player suspensions a half game like I don't know if you're gonna well, if you're gonna do it like let's just have them sit out a game. But uh, I, it, I, again, I, I'm just thankful that Deshane Weaver, and I, I, I know we've already said it, but I'm going to name off the people again. Tyree Eady, Sam Griesel, uh Max Asmus, Deshane Weaver, the, clearly four people. Then I started watching it to see who stood out that was trying to make things better, and it was clearly those those four people, um, four players. And the only last thing I'll say on that is North Dakota State is losing a whole lot of those people that were there as kind of the adults in the room on, on the player side um, going into next year. So hopefully everybody else can kind of step up to be the leaders that they've shown they can be. No, I thought it was interesting. The assistant coaches did a fantastic job too. Holy yeah. smokes. Those guys are pretty fearless, whether it was grabbing Coach Mills or grabbing some of these other guys. Like – they're really the unsung heroes too. I just I loop I lump them in there with uh, those players that you mentioned as well. Yeah. Yep. It, and and I think you guys both make a lot of good points. It's and I've I don't know if I've evolved, but it it, it 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 was the more mature, more experienced players that were trying to tone things down. And the assistant coaches, I mean. I, I know these things can't be quelled with, you know, with, with words all the time, but there has to be a, a certain point where um, uh, it, it's got to get under control sooner than it did, in my opinion. And yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Zach, I, I think you referenced, well, I don't think it was that bad a deal. It sucked, Zach, to sit there and watch that. That was a, it, it, it was, it was not a good thing. And I, there was somebody on Twitter that said, well, I found it kind of entertaining. Now it's a rivalry and I'm going, you don't get it. I, I'm sorry. I think that um, was the lieutenant governor of Oklahoma. Well, well, yeah, yeah, Wait, which, yeah. by the way, yeah, which, speaking of that, how funny was that? And then so he, didn't he say something to the effect of, well, come to Oklahoma and play or whatever like that. And then I think it was the Bison Report Twitter account tweeted out the shot of uh, NDSU knocking off Oklahoma in the NCAA tournament. I thought that was pretty funny. That was yeah. That's the epitome of getting dunked on. So, like, that, that was pretty good, I thought. No, it was, and and but it it does it does fall on the shoulders of coaches. It, it does, I, and and I've I was probably critical of of some of the younger players, but you know I sit here and go, I I thought if you're going to suspend somebody, I, I do think the summer league handled it fine. Do I think it should have been a game? Yeah. Do I think there should have been maybe a coach suspended? Yeah. Um, but I also look at, we can say well maybe the half game suspension you know, was no big deal. How about North Dakota State right now with Grant Nelson and Bowden Scumbury playing, both playing fairly well, having to sit that first half at home again in, in a KC loss. It, I, I'm not saying that's the reason, but it certainly contributed. And, and you hope these things factor in down the road. I guess I just hope coaches try to prepare their kids, maybe, in a, you know, be, be more prepared for these types of things, the volatile situations and, and, um, I hope I hope we don't see anything like that again because it was it it sucked to sit there and watch it and uh, so yeah I I, thought, I think you guys all made some great points on things. Well, I, I should clarify. I, I should clarify. I um I didn't mean to say that it wasn't that bad. I guess I should have probably said it could have been way worse. You're right. You know what I mean? Like You're like if if right. punches. Like, like, I'm just glad they didn't cross the line of like actual punches being thrown because it easily could have. And then once you get once you get punches thrown, you're talking about like kids losing their scholarship and stuff like that. That's right. So so like that that's probably a better that's I I probably should have said it that way than saying it's not that bad. Yeah. 
I hear you. Well, and I'll go back to one other thing that that we brought up. It's it's the unwritten rules part, and I'm nowhere near or where ever would have been the athlete that any of the the players are. Um, but I, I still remember a church softball league that I, that I was in a couple of years ago, and a team was taking extra bases on us, and we were getting our butts kicked. And few people took exception to that, led to a ball getting thrown at somebody, then where people are pushing and shoving. It's like we were losing by 20. Like, why did we even care? It, and it's so it's those it's the same thing with Michigan. I don't even exactly know what happened. But with Michigan and Wisconsin today, it was something about somebody called the timeout with so, so many yeah. seconds left and all these things. Basically, yeah, basically a timeout at the end of the game. John Howard took exception to that. And then the rest of the whole situation devolved. I mean, yeah, none of those things are even important. And yet they're important enough that people are going to lose well, money, lose games. Like it, it doesn't matter, you know, when you really and, think about it. And, and, and that, that's why it's so important to stay out of these situations altogether, because it's super easy to get disoriented and it's super easy to misplace frustration. And it's like all that stuff. Like, that's why you have to stay out of it altogether. Like there's no amount that's okay because it, it can devolve pretty quickly. You know what I mean? And, yep. and so like that, like, that's why I think you, like coaches have to put a premium on not getting anywhere near that. You know, like I said, are you mad that you're getting blown out or are you mad that there was a layup at the end? You know what I mean? Like, I think if you're honest with it, obviously you're mad about getting blown out, but instead of taking responsibility for it, you try to direct it at something else. Like that's not, that that's not productive and it's just, it doesn't set the right tone and all that stuff. And so I don't know, like that's those, those unwritten rules. They're all for, I mean, if you think about it, they're all for losers. Oh, you don't want somebody to swing at a three Oh pitch, like get them out right. and throw a better three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't have three. Oh yeah. Like I've, I've, those are my pet peeves. I hate it. all my buddies laugh when I go on rants about it. Like when a pitcher gets to throw at a batter because they took too long to round the bases yeah, I think the batter should be able to take the bat out to the mound and hit the pitcher with the bat. <laughs> that's what I think. That, like, I that's how much I hate I'm those unwritten rules. That, Zach, but I, I get what you're saying. It's the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> and the same I, thing, these layups at the end of the game, like who cares? Like uh, you're not you, focused on the right things, but anyway, okay. So I think, I think we kind of beat that to death, but you know, you're right. I'll just leave it with two things. And I, I, I think that's the whole thing in college athletics. It's, you know, tough losses will reveal character. And, and it's, it's, and, and the other thing is I'll say is a, it's a quote I read way back when I, so I take no credit for it, but it says who we are on our worst day defines us. And I think maybe that's where, you know, me, myself, I've had to look myself in the mirror and, and, and think those things through at times as well. And, and coaches are leaders of young men and young women. They are, they are the ones that, that, that help them find their way, to be honest with you. They have an amazing amount of influence, and and so after thinking a lot about it, and and then the three of us texted about it a lot. I don't mean to be overly critical of kids, and, and maybe I have been, but it does fall on on the leaders of these programs to make sure that things are handled the right way. And, and I'm glad we didn't do a emergency pod because you know there's no question it would have been emotional, even even though we weren't <laughs> necessarily involved. It it was probably for the best that we you know had a chance to cool down. And, you know, Greg leaving us with a quote on this situation. I'll leave it. I'll leave a quote, too. Um, the, I believe it was the great philosopher Jay-Z that said, uh, <laughs> you know, the type loud as a motorbike, but wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. That type of deal. <laughs> so make sure everybody's in between us before you say something. OK. All right. We'll move. I'll let it go now. Well, you've clearly seen me at watering holes before then, Zach. If <laughs> you guys got my back, good, because I'm going to get behind yours. <laughs> Let me go tell that 6-7 guy, give him a piece of my mind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. never happened. Well, it hasn't happened in quite a few years, but it has yeah. happened. <laughs> All right, yeah. so, so moving on from that, I, I did think it was important to hit quick on Noel Friedel. Uh Coach Henderson, I forget who got the quote, but he basically said Noah, his role is his role now. And so I think it's been since the last time we t we chatted that he started to play a few garbage time minutes here and there. Um, maybe it kind of looked like that might be the start of him getting a, 
bigger role, but Coach Henderson said that is not the case. I personally think that means we've probably seen the last of Noah Friedel in a South Dakota State uh, uniform after this year. Um, is is it just as simple, do you guys think, as the, the minutes are, are where they are at this point in the year, uh, or maybe more to it than that? Well, uh, I'll just comment quickly. Um, there's the, the odds are there's much more to it than that. Noah Friedel yeah. is an amazingly talented individual. But I think it's an easy thing for Eric Henderson to say, um, we're undefeated in the league. We're 16-0. and 0. We're 25-4. and 4. Um, And the vast majority of that record has been been played out with Noah Friedel in the role that he currently holds. If you want to argue with me about that, that's fine. I'm going to go with a group that's playing pretty well together. And they've got pretty good depth without him. You can't argue their success. And uh, and that, those are the decisions that head coaches get paid to make. And I would say that uh, Eric Henderson's made some pretty good decisions uh, so far throughout the course of this season. Yeah, I don't I, – I totally get that angle. You know, my guess in knowing Coach Henderson, you know, if, if they were 0-16, my guess is he would probably be doing the same thing. Like, I – Again, this is totally just speculation here um, that, you know, something that, that the, that's this severe is not necessarily dependent on their record. Um, but it certainly adds credence to the fact that there's absolutely zero reason to even be messing with this, even if he really could play. You know, what I mean, like it's I don't know. It's just a highly unique situation. Obviously, we know very little about it and that's fine. I'm totally cool with that. Um, but it is interesting. And I'm, I'm glad you asked the question. Todd, because he, you know, suspended players don't play at the end of games. You know what I mean? And so, like, that did catch my eye. I, I thought it meant something. Um, but thanks for clearing that up. I appreciate that. The last thing they want is a distraction at this point for one reason or the other. And um, they look to be completely locked in. The, so I'm going to separate it just real quick. Well, there's par- parallels. So, of course, I'm using this topic to to say this the one thing i'll say have, have either of you watched the last chance you basketball edition that one season they had no i wish i could have I, I i watched all the football ones i need to i will soon though yeah i did not either so there's a player on there by the name of joel hampton who was a division one player uh lost his scholarship i think penn state i don't remember where went to this community college and then eventually now is playing division one somewhere else but far and away the most talented player on the, on the court. And he would get frustrated about something and just leave like in the middle of games, he would just leave. And, you know, people would wonder, well, why the heck are you even dealing with this? Why are you, well, from, from my background, this was a guy where I'm like, this is a guy with some clear early childhood trauma, some, some mental health issues. And yet there's, it's not a basketball coach's job to deal with that, right? Or they're not, they're not qualified to. Yet, what I will say at especially high-level Division One, if you have people that can help you navigate that, man, can that help? And and the reason I say that is there's just too many people with backgrounds that have contributed to some of that um, for them, and. And so, like, that's the tricky part. We all know what Noah went through last year. I'd be surprised if there wasn't some of that, too. And yet, at the same time, I'll go, like, that's a coach of 14 guys, right? And so, what a tricky spot all the way around. And, and And I think, and I mentioned this many, many podcasts ago, but what's so tricky with mental health is splicing between the behavior you see and the mental health that can contribute to to that as well. And there isn't probably a college coach in the country really qualified to deal with that, yet it can be something that could really help them if they had people in their, not necessarily on staff, but just in in the school in general that can help navigate some of those things. It's really tricky. I, I feel for both sides, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand why you say that, Todd. And, and Zach, to your point, um, you know, I, I'm not trying to say that 
he's you know been looking down the bench going well if i need him i'll use him just in case we need to improve our record i'm just saying they've got great chemistry with what they have i i, I don't doubt for a second that, that eric henderson has availed himself to every single possible resource to help this young man uh, at the end of the day and, and i'm saying this um all from surmising outside the situation um at the end of the day Every party has to be involved and invested in fixing the problem, including mm -hmm. the young man himself. And uh, and and as you talked about, Todd, uh, you're the coach of the entire team. In addition to trying to deal with one-on-one -on -one situations, I have zero doubt that Eric Henderson has done everything he can to help uh, in this situation. Because I think, uh, without question, I know he cares for this young man a lot, a great deal. And um, and I think we all want to see him succeed somehow, some way. And to be honest with you, I don't know that succeeding somehow, some way necessarily has to include basketball for Noah Friedel. Absolutely. Because there, there are a lot of bigger things in life than that. And so I, I firmly believe that, that Eric Henderson has coached each and every single individual player. I believe that he has coached the team as a whole. And I believe that he knows where he needs to focus uh, the majority of his attention at this point in time. And, and I think that's why they're moving in the direction they are. Mm -hmm. I, th I think this really speaks to the character in the culture of South Dakota state and, and of Eric Henderson uh, himself, because it'd be really easy for a coach to say, well, if you can't help me on the court, you're dead to me and I'm going to kick you off the team. And cause we're not spending any more time or resources on you. If you're not helping us win, you know what I mean? That'd be really easy. That'd probably be the more convenient thing to do. Um, but again, without getting into too much detail and not knowing everything about the situation, obviously, you know, sometimes just being a part of something helps you hold a more accountability uh, of, of your actions. And um, and having structure is, is important, too. And so even if you're not playing, it still can be very beneficial to your life. Um, and, and obviously, they're well aware of it and they're going to continue to work with it, even if it doesn't benefit them on the court. So I just really commend them for that. And, um, you know, Zach, hopefully, that, yeah. Zach, that might be the most important part because I was actually going to say something very similar to that. I completely agree with you. Um, he may need these guys and, and, the, and the structure and the environment that he's in to get to the next step. And uh, as a head coach, to keep him involved in that manner could be one of the most beneficial things that he experiences. So I think you made an excellent point. Yeah, I think I think we'll end on that. And I didn't mean to necessarily imply that Coach Henderson has not put the resources in. It was more oh, no. to to point out that it's just oh, what a challenging um, thing to navigate. And and I just think most programs are not prepared for that overall. And then you either get like we're like like you said, Zach. It's either see it's see you later, or it's we're just gonna overlook everything because you can score yeah. a basketball, and it's really neither of those things, if that makes sense. And it's just such a tricky thing to navigate. And I and I would I would say as we're learning more, my my I would implore Summit League programs as a whole to just go. We know we're working with people that come from from situations that cause trauma and the more we can understand that the better it's going to the better organization we're going to be well said all right um so on to the actual basketball here we are 30 some minutes in and and we haven't talked much basketball which is not our usual thing um but north dakota state they they probably had the most exciting uh weekend and Greg, you were there for both games. You've got the the big win over Oral Roberts, and then the kind of big, ended up being big loss to Kansas City, which then sets us up for a crazy last week that could potentially end in a three-way tie for second, which if everybody ties, as far as I can tell, Kansas City would get the two seed because everybody will have swept everybody. Oral Roberts, Kansas City, Kansas City, North Dakota State, North Dakota State, Oral Roberts. And then somehow through that, I can't even remember how I came to this conclusion, but Kansas City will beat the best team then out of the three. Uh, but 
that would, of course, mean Kansas City beating South Dakota State and Oral Roberts beating South Dakota State as well. And then North Dakota State has just North Dakota left. What are you guys' thoughts just on North Dakota State's week and then the two-seed battle coming up? Can either team take out South Dakota State? That, that's a probably the toughest uh, ro- our trip. They're going to Kansas City and Oral Roberts, if I remember right. But the toughest two teams, probably other than Kansas City and Oral Roberts, is this is the South Dakota Swings. Um, what do you guys think happens? <laughs> I, I'm not going to get into predicting anything. And I'll be <laughs> honest with you, NDSU is going to have their hands full at UND. And the reason I say yeah. that is UND really, at this point, has not a lot to play for. But this this could, this could be this could be their Super Bowl. They'll right. throw everything at North Dakota State. Um, I'll go back to the weekend. I mean, it was a uh, North Dakota State's most complete performance of the season in their dominating win over over ORU because I didn't expect that. They pulled away down the stretch, really got it done defensively. San Griesel was at a different level, and uh, and it was a, it was a great game and a great atmosphere. Uh, the Kansas City loss. I'll be honest with you. I thought it was a great college basketball game. And what Billy Donovan's done down at Kansas City is impressive. He's got his full complement of players. Uh, Josiah Alec makes a difference for them. He missed a for a couple early, then was really good. Um, Gilliard, uh, I was struggling to wonder, who, who, wonder who I'm going to put on my first team ballot. Uh, Gilliard uh, is pretty <laughs> got good, and his. I mean, because it's so funny. Everybody was talking about Max Aismas coming to town. Yeah, Max had 21, I think, on 25 shots. And NDSU defended him exceptionally well. Gilliard was at a different level. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, Arkel Lamar was, was, played a, a high-level game. I think that was the, you know, if you if you have to ask Billy Donlin, I did have a chance to visit with him briefly after the game. And, and he was obviously extremely pleased coming up and finding a way to win two, and, and especially one in Fargo. But this is a team where I can see that he feels he really enjoys coaching, and they've got the depth from from the standpoint of the ability to defend at a high level with high energy, and they've got enough scorers um, to find a way to get it done. And who would have thought over the last ten games that that Kansas City is going to be playing in the 80s. I, I would guess on our first podcast of the year, if somebody would have told us that, we would have said, good one. You know, that's not Kansas <laughs> yep. City. And they're doing it. Yep. And they've seen, they've shown they can play low possession games, high possession games. Gilliard is a different dimension for them. Um, and I I know Dave Richmond won't be overly happy with how NDSU played. I didn't think NDSU played poorly. Did they play great? No, but they didn't play poorly. Kansas City played at an extremely high level pulled away down the stretch and got one of the more impressive wins of the, of the conference season in Fargo. So um, that's a credit to them. They're in the conversation. They can, they, they know they, they can get to the two seed. Uh, you look at a South Dakota state team who's, you know, talking about, um, you know, making history, being an undefeated, uh, having an undefeated conference season, but it ain't going to be easy going into Tulsa and going into Kansas city. Those are two teams that uh, ORU is going to be extremely hungry. Kansas City is going to be extremely confident. And South Dakota State is going to be South Dakota State. And I don't want to forget about the fourth team in that conversation, USD. Um, They handled Western at home. They're playing well. The top five teams, I mean, West Illinois still perplexes me, but the top five teams, I'll tell you what, they're going to be interesting matchups in Sioux Falls. And, uh, Cal, I love March, and I'm yes. saying that in late February. Yep. Yeah, you're right, Craig. There's a huge – there's really going to be a huge drop-off after five. After South Dakota State, you know, Western Illinois, man, they're just they're just really, really struggling right now, uh, which is really disappointing after their non-conference uh, performance that they put on. But, yeah, after South Dakota State, there's really a big drop-off. Um, but amongst those top five, man, that – it's going to be a tremendous semifinal. It's going to be, I mean, in, in which one of those four does, it doesn't make it in this or five doesn't make it in the semifinals, I guess. So, um, and it, you know, Evan Gilliard, what, what a transfer portal success story. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, for all, yeah, yeah. Plenty of horror stories, but he, I mean, what a great situation. Talk about the perfect player for the perfect team 
that fixes exactly what their problem was and gives a kid an opportunity to play on a good team that's bounced around to a couple different places. I mean, that that's, he's the poster child for, for uh, transfer portal success. So that's, that's a great situation. Um, They're playing well. They're, they're tough. They're just a really, really unique team with a lot of their players that they have that are just kind of tough matchups, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, especially now that they have Josiah Alec back. So they're a, they're a good team. Greg, let me ask you this. So, I mean, obviously we see, you know, some of the offensive numbers out of Kansas city uh, and, and I was doing a game up in grand forks at the time this game was going on. What was going on? Like with can could NDSU just not stay in front of them or was Kansas city just hitting a lot of contested shots or what was going going on there? No, it's a great question. I, um, I, I give Gilliard a ton of credit. I mean, there was one play in particular where he ends up getting matched up on, on Andrew Morgan at six ten. And actually, Andrew Morgan did a pretty decent job of staying in front of him. He got around him late. And the help defender is Rocky Cruiser. So you got two 6'10 guys going to contest a layup. He finishes and gets fouled. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? And, and you're sitting there and going, what, what do you do? Because I'm not saying that NDSU was bad defensively. I thought Lamar um, uh, played a heck of a game. Knocking down threes was tough in the paint. Um but it was, it, yeah, it, it was a challenge for NDSU to stay in front of Gilliard. He did create some problems that way. So I think that's a great observation, Zach. Gilliard was the difference in that game. And and um, I'm not sure what he ended up with. I think it might have been close to 30, probably a career high. He was, and, he was this, over 30, yeah. 33 or something. I, yeah. And this was with Nesbitt playing five minutes in the first half because of foul trouble. Yeah. Um, and, and you talked about it, Zach. Uh, this is a Billy Donlin team. He has these... 6'4 to 6'6 six, six, interchangeable wings and they'll go small at times you know even with those guys you know guys like, like Lamar um uh, Garden on the block but they but having Alec back is huge uh Bozer at 6'8 brings a presence uh so does um I'm trying to think of the other guy that they bring in there at times uh, Jake Chapman you know they've got some bigger bodies they can rotate in defensively and I think Billy Donovan is so focused on the defensive end and they're so effective you know, at, at really making di- uh, possessions difficult, but they have enough firepower, and you hit the nail on the head. Uh, talk about a transfer portal success. Evan Gilliard would be the definition of that. Yeah. So they, they give up, NSU gives up 85 points to Kansas City, but only 59 to Oral Roberts. How do you exactly, make sense Exactly what we would have thought, right? Going yeah, back. totally. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's just crazy. I thought about starting this podcast with just saying, well, we know South Dakota State's really good, and that's all we know. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another episode <laughs> of Reaching the Sum podcast because, I mean, that's really where I'm at. Like, I, I, after that, after giving up 59 points to Oral Roberts, I was like, all right. And issues past these injuries. They're past all the stuff that they've gone on. They've had a lot of twists and turns, more than you would have thought, out of a team like this. But, you know, a lot of that was out of their control. But here they are healthy dialing in putting the clamps on Oral Roberts and I'm like all right here they come here's the defense here's all this yep. and then they give up 85 to Kansas City and I'm like how I like like what do you think what do you think was going on in that game well I I'm gonna go back to it I I, I I'm, I'm gonna give the credit to Kansas City I'm not gonna yeah try to knock on NDSU because I still think NDSU is a team that can go down to Sioux Falls and end up in the tournament Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think there'll be a, a locked-in team up in Grand Forks. It's not going to be an easy environment. And I think there'll be a locked-in team in Sioux Falls, regardless of what their seat is. And what's interesting is we talked about, you know, the top five have kind of separated themselves. What if NDSU ends up as the three and West Illinois is the six? There's two teams that have played three overtimes already this year. <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing. So, I'm not, it's not an, an indictment of NDSU because I don't think they played poorly. I just give a ton of credit to a team in Kansas City that knows exactly how they want to play. They've given the keys to Gilliard, and he hasn't disappointed to this point. No, I do agree. I, I, I think it is more about Kansas City than it is NDSU. They're just, Kansas City is really, they, they've become a complete team. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Zach. Well, and Greg, that's, that's Gilliard's fifth 30 point game this year. So he just has these games where he just, and I was so amazed at how open he could get. Oh, this oh is, man! 
This his is step crazy. back is second to none. His step, his step back is second to none. He is so quick. Everybody yeah. has to give him like half a step. Yeah. And then he takes that half a step in and then he gets, he covers a lot of ground with that step back and shoot, he can get that off against anybody. Yeah. After they bottled up Max two days earlier, he, they, right. it didn't matter who, and I know Bowden missed the first half, but he didn't have any more success than anybody else in the second half. It, I don't disagree. I, 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 well, I just give them a, a world of credit. Let, let's talk about Max. Is he healthy? You guys think he's healthy? I've heard he has a, there's been a foot issue all year. He looks like he's not running right. Like uh, that's what I was going to say. Some type of like foot injury. He does not look right. He doesn't look as explosive. Um, I don't want to say, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's tentative, but he just doesn't look quite right. I, I mean, when you see the difference, I would argue that Max Asmus and Evan Gilliard are similar quickness, that kind of thing. And you saw the difference two days later. They could keep, they could stay in front of Max and they couldn't stay in front of Gilliard. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. That's I I think something's up. I think there's something more going on that uh, we don't know about. And, you know, he's playing through and he's still able to do some things, but um, you know, he, he was extremely short on every single one of his shots. Every single one of his three pointers barely grazed the rim at UND. Um, yeah, he can still get past some players and, you know, things like that. But I, I don't think, I think something is going on there with his foot. You know, uh, I guess he's just probably trying to gut it out or what, but it, it, that, that was just an observation. I haven't been told anything. It just, it kind of looked odd. Zach, well, I, that's, well, Zach, that's why you get paid the big money by Todd for this podcast is to make those observations. And, <laughs> and all I have to go on is, NDSU found a way to keep Asmus in front of him for the most part. And and they played his they played him hard to his right hand. And to be honest with you, they tried to play Gilliard hard to his left hand. They had success with one and not the other. And and I, I I'm not gonna disagree with you. I, I, I can understand that that observation and I wouldn't be shocked if that's the case. Because Max is also in a pretty substantial shooting slump right now. I mean, he's yeah. shooting down around 20% in these last couple of games. And um, so that's not good. Also, DeShane Weaver is too. Uh, he basically was benched the whole second half against UND. Um, and Elijah Lufile is 100% a difference maker. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> holy smokes. He's, he is a difference maker. And he's, he fits in well with that team, actually. So. Yeah, and, and you've got Max, who, who I've seen at least a half dozen times get up after a, after a, a play limping at different games. And so I, I have to, I mean, we've never seen a slump like this from Max. And of course everybody can go through it, but that would seem logical that something's going on, but then you've got just about nobody else that can really pick up the slack. If Max is off, that's the tricky part for all Roberts. Well, what was interesting is McBride started last game. Oh, I afraid, I shouldn't say everybody. So, that McBride is starting to come into his own. I, well, it's, it's kind of, and I almost wonder if this is kind of like reinforcing that, that that's kind of why they're starting to give that offense just a little bit more pop. Um, because, you know, I think they're still trying to figure out exactly what works for them. And like last year, you know, that Kevin O'Banner ball screen at the top of Max A. Smith, that was obviously solid gold. Nobody could guard that. And they rolled that all the way to the Sweet 16. But it's almost like this year, what I, what I really like what they do is when Elijah Lufile sets a ball screen on Max Asmus, Max Asmus comes out and they kind of have more like a Euro screen. So it's on the side. And so, you know, Max, you know, draws the defense, makes a decision, but when he skips it and now it's McBride getting that catch, like one of the quickest players in the whole league. So then you have the defense trying to recover off of helping on Max recovering trying to close out and you're trying to close out to McBride who if you're trying to close out to him there's zero chance you're standing you're standing in front of him and so then they become pretty difficult to guard there um either that or another quick skip pass so I don't know I mean I mean maybe they're trying to figure things out a little bit but you know I also they're not as good defensively this year as they were last year that that is still a big issue right now um for Oral Roberts but uh they're by no means out of it uh, they could easily beat anybody, but um, they're—it's like they're stuck in like third gear right now. It seems like. Well, yeah, if, when we do power rankings later today, I mean, I'm gonna have a hard time not putting Oral Roberts fourth out of that second three, 
yeah. teams. It just, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and to your point, I mean, I, still the fact that they're holding people to 42% field goal percentage, it's they're much better than what they had been in years past. At the end of last year, I think that had a lot to do with their success. They were defending well. They're not awful defensively, but I will go back to McBride. Um, he's going to be on the floor a lot. That, that, that kid's dynamic, and, and, and if Oral Roberts wants to, and if they have to pick up some slack from uh, Max Aismas not being 100%, McBride's going to have to be the guy on the floor that is picking up the majority of that slack because he can go get his, um, and he's a really, really tough matchup. Yeah. Um, speaking of defense, there's not as – it's always been weird the last few weeks because obviously South Dakota State's going on a historic run – but it's, they're kind of just doing it the same way every time, so it leaves us less and less to talk about. But I, Zach, you had the stat, and I don't. Re- I think they held uh, St. Thomas to even less than what they'd been averaging the seven or eight games before that. What are they giving up? Sixty-six points a game, or something like that, over their last eight. Yeah, it was like sixty-six points a game, and yeah, they gave up sixty to St. Thomas, so that'd be even less. And yeah, I mean, some of that is kind of working their way through the bottom half of the conference, but. I mean, still, it's it's impressive. That would be by far, I mean, like, they're by far the best defensive team in terms of points per game over the last, like, eight uh, games or so. And, you know, I, I just, I'm just so impressed with their ability to play defense without following. Like, yeah. and, yeah, they don't get a ton of steals necessarily. Um, or they don't force a ton of turnovers like a Kansas City might or block shots. But they just get stops. And, you know where that shows up is obviously only in the in the um, the final score, not necessarily the box score. So I don't know. I it just I, I I really wanted to point that out because the more I watch them play, I'm like, man, this team is like they are dialed in. Yeah. Well, South Dakota State is. This is not a criticism of any other team in the league. They they play with a really high basketball IQ. I mean, you look at a guy like Arians, you look at a guy like Wilson, you look at a guy like Shireman. These guys have been around Charlie Easley. Um, they, they have a, a, a extremely high level basketball IQ on both ends of the floor, and they don't care who scores, they don't care who gets stops, they rotate, they communicate, and they're a very well coached team. And in uh, NDSU, when they had that win over ORU, they are the same type of team. South Dakota State has been able to do it consistently, night in, night out. Those are the things that travel. I just think sometimes we, we don't value basketball IQ maybe the way we should. Uh, we love to look at the guys who can put up the big numbers and, 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 and be impressive and be in the highlight film. Uh, South Dakota State knows the game. They, they, they play the game at an extremely high level on both ends. And and, uh, and to your point, both of you gentlemen, yeah, they are. They are very good defensively, but uh, so much of that is their connectedness and their understanding of the game. It's it's almost scary that other than Wilson, basically everyone can come back. I would yeah. say that would be scary if you're the, the rest, any other coach in the league. Yeah. I mean, you see what North Dakota State will be losing going into next year, even though Tyree and Sam are technically juniors with the COVID year, uh, both will not be back. But, man, South Dakota State, holy cow. Has Tyree said for sure he's not coming back? I, I know Sam did, but has Tyree said for sure he's not? They they honored him, uh, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they did. Did they? they? Okay. That's a pretty I, good indication then. Yeah, okay. I, I think so, too. I, I think they're ready to move on. And- and at the same time, I still believe they're pouring their heart into everything they can down the stretch here as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost makes maybe even makes them more dangerous. They all know this is it. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So so on to the, the one team in the top five that we haven't talked much about today. I think it'd be good to at least hit on, hit on them a little bit. And I want to start with an apology because I've a few times on here said I don't know why Tassos Comateros is shooting threes. Um, and, and boy, you know, maybe it's because I, I, I watch their games and that's it, but that it's, so maybe don't listen to what I say. Cause he, he can shoot really well and has yeah. been burying three point shots lately. But, uh, so anything else on South Dakota? Well, 
South Dakota is scary. And, and yeah. I, I know I, I'm going to come out and admit, I'll go back to the beginning of the year where I said, well, they obviously got a ceiling. They don't have Plitz White. They don't have a Moody. They have basically the same group back. I mean, Goodrick, you know, is, has come in there. They, they're a good defensive team. And, uh, and their guard play, uh, Boogie Anderson has just embraced his role. Ever since Xavier Fuller went down, Xavier Fuller's back. He's in the rotation. Peril Hunt plays well. I love Mason Archambault, what he does, his ability to knock down the perimeter shot. But I, I think he's an extremely undervalued defender. Um, he gets it. He's a, he's a dynamic player for USD. They're able to, to get out and, and grind you into their game. Let's, let's be honest. NDSU, you know, if not for Grant Nelson's heroics, could, probably would have lost at home. And if, you know, Tassos Comatero's three after the buzzer and then NDSU winning in overtime in Vermilion, I mean, USD is, is four plays away from two wins over NDSU right now. Right. And uh, they're, they have potential to be a factor. They're not that, they are not the showroom team. You know, and I, you know, South South Dakota State is, or maybe North Dakota State is, with their length and their physicality. Uh, USD is not the the team that 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 bright shiny car on the showroom floor, but they might be that ideal used car out on the lot. That you know what, uh, they go out and they'll they'll be reliable and they'll find a way to get it done. USD right. is not out of this picture, and they probably love the fact that everybody gives all the attention to uh, South Dakota State, ORU, and NDSU, Kansas City creeps in there, and so does USD. Uh, USD's having a pretty doggone good season, if you ask me, and, and I think they're exceeding expectations at a lot of different levels. Yeah. Well, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, but, I mean, they've just done nothing but take steps forward. And it just goes to show you how important just incremental progress is, even if it's small increments. But – They've just gotten better and just polished what they do and just kept refining it and getting a little bit better and a little bit better. And, you know, pretty much since the turn of the year, they really haven't lost anybody other than North Dakota State and South Dakota State. And you see the progress they're making against South Dakota State, like they're gaining ground. And so, you know, I don't think anybody really wants to play them because they're certainly not going to give a game to anybody. Um, You know, the fact that they've really only lost to the top of the conference is probably a pretty good indication of, like we've kind of been talking about, you know, I mean, if, if there's an issue, it's it's where their ceiling's at, and maybe they're bumping into it. We'll see. I don't know. But they, it's not because of lack of progress, and they're just going to continue to keep it going. And so, I mean, just really impressed with the coaching job. I, I think that is probably one of the best coaching jobs that's been done this year, um, among some other good coaching jobs as well. But uh, just really impressed. I think it just really speaks to their um, – just culture that they have down there. I mean, I'll keep talking about culture because I'm just such a big believer in it. I mean, that's the only way that you overcome Stanley Amude and uh, AJ Plitzawhite and not bring anybody else in necessarily and still are right there in the top half of the conference. Zach, I wish I could add something to that, but you nailed it all. Completely agree. Well, and, and think, Zach, of the fact that the person that won Coach of the Year last year lost his two best players and might be just as deserving except there yeah. happens to be a person with a, a an undefeated record in conference. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, you're right. I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to make an argument against a 16 and 0 team. That's for dang sure. But right, right. you know, I, I just, I just is more of a hat tip than anything. I don't know if that's worth anything, but probably not, but whatever, if it is, and they're getting a hat tip. So, well, let's just be honest. The four or five game uh, on Sunday in uh, Sioux Falls is going to be pretty entertaining. Yeah. Yes. Regardless of who it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're we're running out of time, and so we're not going to be able to cover um, every team. And really, I think kind of the top five have started to separate enough that it's worth some extra time, especially with the other things we had to talk about today. I did want to mention Frankie Fiddler. 11 yes. straight points in a minute and a half <laughs> to beat Denver. Um, 11-0 run by himself was at the beginning of the Scott Van Pelt show. So some nice – it was nice that that was the thing showing at the beginning of the show versus the um, the 
kerfuffle between North Dakota State and Oral Roberts. But what a special performance by that young man. I mean, he's a star. He's a star. Tevin Smith is a star. Zeke Mayo, in my opinion, is a star. Paul Bruns is a star. All yeah. four freshmen. It's just, it's incredible what they're doing. And uh, just to kind of quickly uh, touch on the bottom half here, the way I'd sum it up is, you know, Omaha, um, they have another game against St. Thomas. If they win that one, that pretty well finishes off uh, UND's chances. Uh, UND must beat NDSU and St. Thomas this week. And then if they do that, I believe they're going to have the tiebreaker over Omaha unless Kansas City keeps winning. I guess I, I didn't really consider that. If Kansas City fish, finishes ahead of NDSU, that finishes off uh, UND right now. So yeah, um, that, that's just them, right, Zach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, that's just um, what it's going to come down to: beating NDSU at home uh, on senior night after if they're able to beat St. Thomas, which is a big if because they obviously played uh, good for most of the game against South Dakota State. Do we well, do we know which game is first? I, I don't have it up in front of me. Because they're both Saturday, right? If they if they were to beat St. Thomas, both o- Omaha and uh, North Dakota are Saturday, then we don't know what. My you- guess, yeah, my guess is um, so St. Thomas, so St. Thomas plays at UND at twelve o'clock on oh. Tuesday. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's that, that's quite the uh, odd schedule here. Let me um, see if I can find it here. So. Oh, Omaha's a okay, night yeah, game. So, yeah, yeah, Omaha's the yeah. night one. Yep. So, oh. so yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll know. I mean, if if UND is able to pull the upset at one o'clock, and that game is on ESPN three two, I'll be doing that game. Um, then we'll be then all eyes will turn to that Omaha at St. Thomas game. Which, if I'm a UND fan, I feel a little bit better now that I just noticed that it's at St. Thomas and that senior night and all that stuff. So, um, but who knows? Who knows? It, it, like I said, I you know. If even if they don't get in the tournament and they beat NDSU, they're probably all right. You know, they're they're probably feeling pretty good. Yeah, that would be a nice way to end the mm-hmm. the year. Yeah, it would be. I, I I'm gonna go back to what you first. You know, the the freshman you listed off, Zach. Some league fans, uh, the league's in good hands. Yeah, we it talk is. about some of these amazing players that are gonna leave the league. It's so refreshing to see what great coaches are able to do to bring in amazing talent. Uh, continuously into the league, um, it, it's it's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to get better, and the league is in good hands for the future. It's how attractive the league is. I mean, yeah. it is attractive league, and we have good coaches. I know how to evaluate players, and um, it's going to get competitive. It's only going to get more competitive. Well, and and I think we are being a little too excited with our two bid talk at the beginning of the year, but had the North Dakota state team at the beginning of the year, the Kansas city team at the beginning of the year been the teams we got now. It's sure at least more interesting there, everybody. And I know it's all league play now, so it's harder to gauge, but boy, we're everybody's back healthy. It's perfect timing for the, for the, for the summit league tournament because almost everybody's back at full strength. Well, it's going to be interesting to see when the bids come out this year. We're really going to have to break that down as to, all right, which is the league, which is the first league to get two bids? And what does the profile look like? What does the average net ranking look like? We can do that breakdown. That'll be a, that'll be a good bit of information to kind of get our arms around as we're looking at this. It really will be. And, and the other thing is, for those of you that uh, are willing to listen to the podcast, get out and talk to your friends. Tell them how, how, how great of an event this is down in Sioux Falls. Yeah. This is, and, and granted, it's with the women, and the USD women and the SDSU women are incredible, and that brings a ton of South Dakota fans in there. But th- this this is a high-profile, extremely entertaining, extremely competitive mid-major league, and the conference tournament is, is an incredible event down in Sioux Falls. And if you can find a way to get there, I'm telling you what, it's worth it. I've been in there on a day with no South Dakota team playing, no USD, no SDSU, neither men or women. And there are 3,500 to 4,000 fans in there, casual basketball fans that just appreciate quality basketball. It is well worth it 
make an effort to get down there and take it in. I, I, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Yeah, I, w- I went to the, I think it was the WAC tournament in Reno one year when I was in Reno. I, WAC or Big Sky, I don't remember which. But to contrast the two, I mean, I could have sat wherever I wanted. It was me and some pretty much the media and friends and family. It, the, it's such a different atmosphere in, the, at, in Sioux Falls. Completely agree. Well, with that, we're at about an hour and five minutes. So we'll uh, next week we'll probably well we'll know the the seeds and, and yeah. what the, so it'll be a tournament preview. We'll probably get into what we think should be our first and second team all summit coach of the year, freshman of the year, all of that stuff on next week's episode. So it'll be a fun one. It'll be a uh, action packed, all full of stuff. We'll make some predictions and things like that, or at least Zach and I will. Greg doesn't like making predictions, so. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, with that, I suppose we'll wrap up, and we'll talk to you guys next week.